0: Hollywood Live Extra with Tanya Hart.
1: You know, between 1979 to. 1981, at least 30 African-American children and young adults disappeared or were murdered in Atlanta, Georgia. 23-year-old Wayne Williams was prosecuted for two of the crimes, but the rest of the cases were closed following his conviction in 1982. And it's hard to believe 40 years have gone by. Atlanta's Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms reopened the case and HBO's five-part docuseries tells the inside story of this shocking tragedy. Well, my guest today, Executive produced and directed this riveting series. Please welcome Sam Pollard, Sam Pollard and Maro Chermaya. I hope I said that right, Mara. Mara. You welcome did. to Hollywood you Live did. Extra. <laughs> First of all, how are both of you doing in light of our new normal here? Oh, oh we're trying to make it work. I know, isn't that um,
2: it's, it's clearly the best idea for everyone's safety, but it's pretty hard to put your life on hold I'm sure everyone agrees.
1: Oh, yeah, we all do. We just had uh, Dr. Carol Lieberman on earlier this morning. Of course, she's a psychiatrist because we were in the point of needing that right about now. But let's get into this riveting series that you guys have have done. Uh, what you know what made you interested in doing this very deep and sad story, especially all these years later?
0: Uh, initially, this is, Initially, uh, in 2017, I had done a documentary <clears throat> about Amanda Jackson. And in that documentary, I did a little segment about the Atlanta child motives and how we have to deal with it. And Mario and the people at Sheryl Force were seen the doc, and they thought that the Atlanta child motives, you know, murders, you know look, meant that they should look at it from a different perspective and maybe a deeper, deeper dive into it. So they put together a proposal that we then pitched to HBO because we had all worked with HBO before. And the executive producers of HBO, Lisa Heller and Nancy Abraham, loved the pitch to that proposal. And they gave us a green light in the summer of 2018. And by January of 2019, we started going down to Atlanta and interviewing many, many, many wonderful, interesting human beings.
1: Well, I've got to tell you, I was a young reporter on March 30th, 1981, when they pulled 13-year-old Timothy Hill out of the Chattahoochee River. It's an image that is still in my head. I won't ever forget it. I was talking to my cameraman this weekend. He said, oh, yeah, do do I remember it? Of course I do. Um, You know, that was just one instance. And I know how that affected me. And still, all these years later, it still does. So... When uh, no one was charged other than Wayne. In fact, this kid, I understand Timothy Hill uh, had allegedly been staying with a pedophile and nobody thought of that as a possibility of a suspect in his crime. Well, I think they did probably
2: think of it, you know, him, of him as a suspect. And yes, I mean, a number of boys, including Timmy Hill, had, you know, um, had stayed with uh, at the home of Tom um, Carroll, who was, you know, a, a known pedophile at the time. I think they couldn't, or clearly couldn't, make, um, you know, the direct connection to a murder. But I agree. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, it's, it's very suspicious. And um, Timmy Hill was a particularly sad case because he he had he was the one case where post missing. Uh, he made a telephone call to his teacher, crying and asking for help. And before she could establish where he was or how to help him, um, the phone was disconnected. So it is, it, is, um, it, is a, it is a very, very troubling story. And I certainly think that the pedophile um, issue came into play, as did the KKK, because on the whole... It seems extremely unlikely that all of these cases uh, were the act of one individual or one perpetrator. It just seems impossible in
1: my view. Well, exactly. That was my next question, because I remember when Wayne Williams was convicted of killing actually two adults um, that weren't children. But, you know, he had been in the music business. He was like a young man, 23 years old. And most people in it, when he got I mean, they just dropped all these other cases, it appears. It, most people in the country and folks in Atlanta certainly didn't believe that he was guilty of all of these crimes. What do you think? What do you what do you both think after doing this piece?
2: Um, well, uh, I certainly do not think he is guilty of all of these crimes. Is he guilty of something? Is, was he in some way involved? in some way, maybe, but I'm not convinced and I've never seen any, uh, I've never seen any evidence that would indicate that he uh, had a role at all.
0: Right. You know. I mean, I mean, that was, that was go ahead, Sam. I, you know, I, you know I, I I, started off thinking that Wayne was the murderer, but as I was, you know, as I've said before, is that we, we as the production team would have constant mm-hmm. debates and dialogues about did he kill any of these children? Was he a part of it in some way? Was he did he have an accomplice? Did he not kill any of the children? And I came down on the side of at the very end of this process. But to me, you know I don't think he's a you know, a, a very nice human being. I don't think he murdered anybody. That's my feeling. You know, after after all this after working on this project for so long. I don't think Wayne killed anybody. I think he I think being on that bridge is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it was a, it enabled the, the police, the FBI, enabled him to find someone that they could they could pin, pin Henry's murders on. He became the perfect the perfect foil for them.
2: However, the one thing that we do know is whether he had some or no involvement. He absolutely did not receive a fair trial. Yeah. His trial was really yes. stacked against him. The police, once you know, once it was determined that he was the suspect, um, as is often true in many cases, he was the only suspect, and they pushed that uh, to a conclusion. And the city really needed, uh, and the state really needed for it to shut down. And um, the circumstantial evidence against Wayne uh, and how it was handled in trial were uh, uh, truly not fair. Mm-hmm.
1: And you guys handle all of this again in this documentary. And, and here's the other point, though: Were there ever any other quote child murders after Wayne was convicted?
2: Um, there, there certainly were, yes. But it's very, un- it, it, they were not in the same number, and they were not at the same, you know, age. It wasn't, it wasn't a child a week that kept on going. But that pattern had already changed that pattern Mm -hmm. for the previous months before Wayne's arrest had become young adults. And it had gone from a drowning to strangulation to, you know, in the river to out of the river. So, you know, were young men in Atlanta, African-American men in Atlanta killed post that, uh,
1: Wayne's arrest?
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah, we know that, but I mean, not, not by what seemingly, as you said, the pattern, it was a different pattern. Um, Well,
2: patterns were all different of the cases that they made, the cases on the list. So hmm. where's the pattern? Between shooting, stabbing, strangulation, falling off of a bridge, drowning in the Chattahoochee. uh,
1: There's a lot lot of patterns in this pattern.
0: It wasn't consistent at all.
1: That being said, you guys found some footage I mean I've been watching you actually uh, started airing about a week ago and I, I unfortunately did not get a chance to watch yesterday but uh, the footage that you have, how difficult was it finding some of this stuff because this is stuff that we never even saw on the news reels Well uh, we have to, you know we have to
0: basically you know take a do a shout out to our two wonderful archival producers, Amy Shaw and Judy Ailey. They're wonderful, wonderful professionals who have done this kind of work before, and they know know how to go the extra mile. And they were able to find stuff that was just amazing material. So they left no stone unturned in their their deep dive into their archival research.
2: Uh, I just also want to say that you you did not see the show on Sunday night, but there was a a real mishap, um, you know, over uh, at Network HBO and there was no sound on the picture. So for anybody who um, who faced these technical difficulties on Sunday night, um, episodes one and two are rebroadcasting this Thursday night uh, at 8.30pm on HBO back to back from 8.30 to 1030 And I know a lot of people were really frustrated at the technical difficulties as everyone's kind of sitting home waiting for their next episode to come. So um, HBO is... Uh, is uh, doing reprogramming and rescheduling, and they're also available on uh, HBO Go and HBO Now. You can still uh, see episode one and two with sound.
1: Oh, good. Okay. Well, so it's a good thing I didn't tune in last night. <laughs> would have been <laughs> able to hear. It. You would have tuned that's in, okay. But you would have tuned out. I, I right. Okay. Well, that's okay. We'll get it on Thursday because I really don't want to want to miss any of this. Even though it's so hard to watch, I've got to tell you. So now, looking at talking to some of these families, two questions. Where are the families of some of these victims today, and and how does DNA now play into maybe what you know? Because forty years ago, nobody was talking about DNA.
0: Well, I would say I, I would say I'll, I'll let Mark take the DNA part, but but I think for many of these families who sat with us, this was an, this was an opportunity for them to feel like they had someone who's going to listen to them be able to open up and talk about the pain that They have been living with for so many years. Uh, specifically, Anthony Terrell, whose brother was killed. You know, he had never talked, you know, openly about the feelings that he had, the story about his brother going missing. You know, what it did to his family. And it was like an exorcism, Paul. I mean, we did a two-hour interview with him, and he was just so open. And he just wanted to just let himself, you know, really express everything, all the pain that he was dealing with. And it was the yeah. same with the, uh, the with some of the mothers. Catherine Leach and Sheila Balthasar and the Jones mother and Quickie Jones' mother and his, and his aunt. You know, these were people who just up. now we, they were being given an opportunity to really, you know, open themselves up to, to speak their truth and their, and let us understand the pain that they were living with.
2: Yeah, it was hard. It was very yeah. hard for them. Many, many of them, of course, still live in Atlanta, though, though uh, a few family members have moved on and, and you know, left the city. Mm-hmm.
1: But what about uh, DNA today? I, I don't know if that's going to play because the mayor, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, did reopen this case. Correct. So there must be some reason and it would, that
2: it would be wonderful if there were things to test. I mean, I, I I think that they haven't fully announced yet what evidence they have that is retestable. Um, but in terms of um, you know the DNA and how the crime scenes were taken and how how possible um, you know testing was done at the time when the bodies were were discovered uh, was very very was. A, one, unknown, and two, very, very difficult. I mean, they say that part of the reason that some of the bodies that began to appear in the Chattahoochee River was that people began to realize that they were collecting fibers and evidence on the bodies and they, you know, were trying to sort of wash away the the evidence. Um, if if there is DNA that has been uh, properly collected and, and available to be tested on clothes or... Um, that's going to be great, uh, and would be really interesting. And uh, it's very unclear the level of evidence that they're going to have. But it, it would be great if there if there was, and it would be, it would make a big difference. But there's also been advancements in other things, in in you know in fiber analysis, which was pretty much of a junk science back at the time, but actually was the linchpin of the case. Um, I think a lot of things have been disproved. And um, I think, you know, it would be really great if they could use the technology of today and the knowledge of today to relook at some of this evidence. It's just very unclear uh, how accurately and and cleanly it was collected and what evidence is still really available to be tested today. But fingers crossed there's something. That would be wonderful.
1: Right, I was going to say, because perhaps at some point with all of this reopening of the case, that we can actually look for some other, uh, you know, some other suspects. I mean, some other perpetrators, because I got it. This was this was one of those things that shook America to its core. It wasn't just Atlanta. I mean, I was living in Boston, and uh, my NBC affiliate station sent us down there, and we did a couple of part series on this thing. So, uh, you know, everybody was concerned, and it just looked like, to be honest, at first, people that's what people thought. Okay, is the Klan doing this? I mean, who is doing this? And I think the shock of Wayne Williams, who was a young black man, just did not sit well. So, in your opinion, um, where what's going to happen with this? I mean, the, thank you for doing this uh, five-part docuseries, and thanks to HBO for this, but what do you hope to happen with all of this when it's all said and done and when the series finishes?
2: Well, I, I, w- I would love it if it, if it if it impacted some of the thinking on the reinvestigation. I know that um, the mayor and, and the chief of police, Erica Shields, other people have you know, are going to see this series. And I'm sure there's going to be some of the work that we've done that's going to interest them enough to pursue some of these leads further. I mean, even by the time of our interview with Erica Shields, she said, do I think that there's going to be other perpetrators that come forth? Yes, I do. She, you know, there was always, there was already some question that the two girls in the case uh, were going to be identified um, as not being, uh, suitable, uh, victims for the list or right. likely victims of, of Wayne Williams if you believe in his guilt. So, um, I think already there's going to be a shift and there's going to be a shift in, in looking, uh, just doing straight out police work, just solving the cases, looking at the cases to see, um, what other perpetrators, um, might there have been. And are they a, a larger number of perpetrators? Are there copycat crimes? Are there some of the um, some of the victims victims of members of their own family? Are there you know there's you know the clan right. the, you know the clan evidence is strong. The pedophile evidence is strong. So there is um, there is a chance that there could be you know that the diagram that the the, the plate in the, in the <laughs> could really shift. And that would be, and that would be a, a really wonderful outcome. Will that get Wayne Williams another trial? No, I don't think so. Probably yeah, not. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, uh, we're not on a. We're not, we're not. We're not. We want to tell the story, and we want to look at the justice um, for the families. We are. We're not. We're not. Uh, free Wayne Williams is not the message of us as filmmakers. That's not the role
1: we play. Yeah, um, no, I mean, that's very he clear. He
2: didn't have a fair trial. He didn't have a fair trial and he didn't have a fair appeal on that trial either.
1: Right. I remember that as well. I just want our listeners to know that this is Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. My guest today, our executive producer and director of the riveting uh, HBO series Atlanta's "Missing and Murdered: The Lost Children." Uh, guys, what do you what do you think after doing this and putting all this together? And I can't imagine the amount of sleepless nights this must have caused both of you, uh, because it's just that kind of a story. But but what are the lessons we should take away from this? at the end of the day.
0: Well, to me, the big question is that you should never have ever take everything at face value. You shouldn't just say, I mean, you should just come away from some, as many of these other series have been done about the Atlanta Chambers, they always come away with the, basically saying the Wayne Williams was the murderer. I think it's much more complicated than that. I think it wasn't so black and white. I think that's the big takeaway, that most times things in life aren't so black and white. And they're much more complex and layered.
2: And they're also, we were very interested in how they, how these crimes existed in the context of Atlanta, the rising black Mecca, city of the South. I mean, what was going on in the city at the time? What were the race issues, the social, the cultural clashes going on in the city at the time in which these crimes began to fester? We're, we're very interested in a sort of contextualizing of that part of the story and I, I think we, we took a very different approach in that, in that regard. And, um, we, we don't really just like to like sort of list the murders, here this happened and then this happened and then this happened mm-hmm. and we don't mm-hmm. see it just as a whodunit, we see it as a very important message about, about class, about poverty, about race, um, about you know, inequity. And um, what happens in a a legal case that can be fair and unfair and maybe potentially very unfair um, if we're talking about um, a a black perpetrator or supposed perpetrator of a crime. They just, the the rules all don't apply the same way for everybody. And that's something that we really uh, see happening today. So we like, we also want people to make those
1: connections. I was going to say, it's 40, I can't, first of all, I can't believe 40 years have passed, but nothing has changed on that front, so I have to applaud both of yeah, you of for your efforts on this one, um, and we thank you so much for joining us on the, what are you working on next? Sam, I know you're always working on some stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm finishing up a documentary now about the black visual artists like um, Amy Shell and Jordan to and Carrie James Marshall for HBO. Hopefully, it'll be out sometime this year. And you know, there's always developing some new other new other projects. Yes,
2: right. We're developing another another series for HBO uh, as we speak. So hopefully, we'll we'll stay within our HBO family. We're excited about that. But I do also want to shout out to the other directors on this series with us, um, our partners uh, Jeff Dupray and Joshua Bennett, because this was really a big project done. Quite quickly, and it was a team effort. So we're we're really proud of the team that showed for us, and appreciative of HBO.
1: Well, you should be. It's it's really good. I'm going to encourage everybody to tune in on Thursday to get both uh, both hours, both episodes. One that you might have missed on Sunday. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want everybody out there to know: please download the AURN app. Don't forget to subscribe to Hollywood Live Extra. You got to download everything on SoundCloud or Stitcher or any other podcast directory, and make sure you get all of them. We've been on for three years now, and we've got a really good catalog of just about everybody you want to listen to. Uh, you don't want to miss any of them. And If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review. I'm Tanya Hart. This is Hollywood Live Extra. Hollywood Live Extra,
2: a product of American Urban Radio Networks.